Hi, and welcome to the second chapter, the podcast where Kristen Duffy, the founder and producer behind Slackline Productions, that's me, talks to women who started the second, third, or even fourth or fifth chapter in their lives and careers after the age of 35. Welcome to season two of the second chapter. I'm really excited to be back after a short delay. As those of you who listened to the bonus episode know, I lost my dad a few weeks ago, and believe it or not, I also managed to get COVID, so it feels really good to have the joy that is working on this podcast back in my life. I'm feeling a bit better, so now I'm calling a 2021 reset. As always, if you're enjoying listening to the second chapter, I'd love for you to share with friends. And since this is season two of the second chapter, and we are starting on February the 2nd, I'd love to challenge you to share the podcast with two friends, and hopefully they'll enjoy listening to it too. Speaking of resets, today I'm talking with Tracy Root, who went through a major reset in her early 40s. Tracy said goodbye to corporate America and found her new calling after a personal family tragedy. After a weight loss transformation led her to think more seriously about empowering others, Tracy is now a speaker, coach, educator, and community builder. She shifted to helping others at a deeper level while making more time for her own fulfillment, adventure, and joy. Community is the number one overarching umbrella word for everything that I do. From a coaching standpoint, it's empowering people to be themselves. Hi, Tracy. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? Hi, I'm well, Kristen. Thanks for having me. So fun. It's really great to have you here. We have our Americanness in common, but we have quite a few other things in common as well. So it'll be really interesting to hear your story and to share it, obviously, with the Second Chapter listeners. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. I love that even though we're thousands upon thousands of miles away, that we can get to know each other a little bit. Tracy is in California, and regular listeners will know, despite my accent, I'm in London, so we are definitely connecting from afar. She's so kind to join me early in her morning, and it's just my afternoon, so I get off really easily. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers to the coffee in the morning. And the afternoon at this point in my life. I don't know about you. <laughs> yes. So you, you obviously are here because you did make a career change, like we talk about on the second chapter definitely a very unfortunate incident that kind of sparked yours. But I would love to start with talking about what your initial career was and how you ended up in that to begin with. Sure. I'm here in California. As you mentioned, I currently live in Santa Cruz, but I grew up in Silicon Valley, Cupertino, San Jose, home of Apple Computer, and at the time of the creation of Apple Computer, actually. And so as a young person, I was, this is what things are like in the Bay Area. Get good grades, achieve, go to college, get a great job, make a lot of money, tap on the glass ceiling, all those things. And to live in that area, you, that's the path you need to take for someone who is like trying to find their way in the world. At least that's what it felt like to me. I felt like I was doing all the things that I should do. And I was perfectly fine. I enjoyed it, happy, loved what I did. I ended up getting a degree in interior design from San Jose State University. By the time I was in my mid-20s, I wouldn't say I was like that quick to college person, but I eventually made it. I did yeah. exactly the same thing with fashion design. So. Yeah, it was like the nine year plan, but that's okay because you learn along the way. And I ended up, instead of being a designer per se, I ended up in the corporate facilities environment, which would be like space planning, designing the cubicle layouts and things like that. I, I speak to it that way because I think most people can understand what that means. But it basically took care of project managing almost everything related to the interiors of the buildings. So it was definitely related to my field, but what it ended up being is much more of a project management 
and kind of customer service place where I made sure that everyone who was working in the offices had a great working environment, could do their jobs, was happy in their space so that the companies could make money. I did that for about 17 years and I was lucky enough to work for a consulting firm. So I ended up working for a lot of different company clients around the Valley, all during the big boom and the bubble. Y2K, since we're all talking about second chapter and people later in life, I know people can relate to what that even is, where a lot of young people wouldn't even know necessarily what Y2K is anymore. And it was very interesting because we got to learn a lot about large corporate expansion and contraction and merging and splitting and all of those kinds of things. I met my first husband when I was even still in college and we were together for a very long time before we decided to get married and start our family. So we got married in 2004, I think it was. I, strangely enough, I don't even remember what year it was. And But what I do know is that our son was born in 2006. And shortly after he was born, my husband was diagnosed with cancer. So for the next four years, it was the roller coaster of his illness, treatments, chemo, radiation. Meanwhile, I'm learning how to be a new mom. I'm working full time. He's doing the best he can to be stay-at-home dad, but eventually he wasn't well enough to be able to do that. So now it's treatments and daycare and working full-time. And ultimately, he got a little bit better for a while, and we had our second child. And then he got worse again. And by the time the kids were one and a half and four, he passed away. So when we talk about like making changes because of life's challenges. That was a pretty big one. I didn't have any family nearby. So really, it was one foot in front of the other survival mode from that point forward for quite a bit. Do you feel like the fact that this went on for so long, did it, I I don't know if you can say if it made it better or made it worse, but did it make you more equipped in the sense that you've been caring for him off and on so long? you've been putting one foot in front of the other for such a long time anyway? Well, for for sure. And the whole better or worse thing, I don't think there's any way to say one way or the other. Obviously, it's a different experience than someone who maybe loses someone in a car crash or something like that. The long illness definitely helps you get self-sufficient, but I was already self-sufficient, right? And it wasn't that I really was like, oh, he's going to go. Because I will say that in the end, it was still just as much of a, I was going to say of a shock, right? We didn't know, no one ever thinks it's going to be when it is. No matter how sick someone is, all of a sudden, the fact that they're gone is a very big surprise, emotional surprise, maybe not intellectual surprise. And so you can't really separate the two in that moment. I actually have a friend who just lost their husband yesterday to pancreatic cancer after a long battle. And strong battle. Man, that guy was like, fight, fight, fight. It was awesome to watch, really inspiring for someone who'd seen it as well to see how hard he really worked at that. But then all of a sudden, like you just couldn't go any further. And that's how it goes. So as a young woman, I was 41. When he died, he was 47. With two young kids, you really just, like you said, step one foot in front of the other. Like I didn't have the freedom to go hide in a corner for a month or six months or whatever. I had to keep going because I had kids and I was the breadwinner. I was the insurance. Everyone always says, oh, you're so brave or this or whatever the words are. And really, we all do what we have to do. And that's just the bottom line. Yeah. When I had my own not comparable tragedy, the kind of major change that was 
my tragedy so far in life, I guess you could say. My friend kept saying, I can't believe you can get out of bed in the morning. And it's, it's not that you're brave. What, choice do you what else are you going to do? Yeah. Every time I was in bed, it was like when I thought about things and when I was devastated, it was easier for me to keep moving and keep yep. going. It was exhausting. Yeah. But it was, and, it, and I didn't have the kids that I had to be out taking care of and making money to support. And even if the kids weren't there, I still would have needed to survive, to live. I suppose people could go hang with their parents for a while. And I guess you see that in movies. I just thought of some, uh, what's her name? Oh, I'm not going to think of it. Anyway, some movie, popular female actress who like goes and, you know, hangs out in their parents' house for a month, just laying in bed for a month. That's just, that's just, that's just not me. Yeah. Whether or not I had the freedom to do that or not, that wouldn't have been me. I did. I think I went back to work maybe a week after he passed away, after doing a lot of the logistical things that we needed to do. And that was more of what else am I going to do? I got to do something because I can't lay here anymore type of thing. And, and for that week, obviously, I had support and stuff. But once people went back to their homes, my, fam- my parents went home and different people who had come to help out for the short term left. Now, what am I left with? I'm left with these two kids and, and me. And what do we do? Okay, I'm too tired to manage them all day long. So really going to work was a relief because it was easier to work than it was to be up for the kids all day long. It took me about a year and a half to process all of that grief and the kind of living in that fog. It's very much a blur. I don't remember very much of it at all, that whole time frame. My kids will ask me now and then, when was this, when was that? I'm like, honey, I'm really sorry, but I just truly don't remember because I don't. And that's part of what our brains do for us in processing things sometimes is it lets it fold away so that it's not so traumatic anymore so that we can continue to survive and not just cower in a corner. So about a year and a half after this, just going straight back to work, working through this kind of fog of grief and things blurring together, obviously, did something switch in your mind? Did something, was there a spark? Yeah, I think it was just time. Eventually, you realize that, or at least I realized that what I was doing was not what I wanted. So I was 42, 43 at the time. And like, okay, what's the twenty next 20 years hold for me? This isn't going to be it. I can't keep doing what I'm doing. And I started to play around with the idea of changing what I did for a living. And nothing re- like this was all just in my head. What could I do? Where could I go? My parents lived in Florida or still live in Florida. Paul's family was in New Orleans. So if I moved to Florida, I could be by my family. My kids would have their grandparents nearby. I would be in driving distance to the other side of the family. And so that became my goal is, okay, if I move to Florida, what would I do when I got there? What kind of job would I work for myself? Would I get a job? Would I create all these ideas? And I asked a few questions around with people who I knew I could trust to just say, hey, I'm considering moving to Florida. Don't tell my boss because I didn't want to, because it was just ideas, right? It wasn't a plan. Yeah. And I didn't want them to think that I was a short timer or whatever. I just was floating ideas. I came up with a couple of ideas, but nothing really resonated. And then I decided that I'm just going to do something new for me so that I could maybe get some more energy back and feel a little more present for my kids, a little less exhausted, a little more available to them in the time that we had together. Because for the most part, we had maybe an hour on the weekdays from getting home till bedtime because they were little. And on the weekends, a whole day was really hard 
And two whole days was really hard. In fact, at some point I even got pneumonia because I was just like so exhausted. So that was another challenge, right? How do you have pneumonia with two little kids and no support around? Get them to daycare and go home and sleep for eight hours. But that's another story. So I decided that the thing that I was most available to work on was the fact that I still carried two babies worth of baby weight and then some. If I lost some weight, if I started doing some activity, then I would feel better. And therefore, maybe I would start to be able to move forward in other ways as well. So that's what I did. I started by looking for a diet that would work because everything else hadn't worked. And what I found actually is a program that was medically designed, but coached by people who had experienced it themselves before. So I didn't know anything about it. I just Googled medical weight loss because I wanted something that was not sketchy. I had done Atkins in the past, which I don't think anyone would call a medical weight loss plan. And it was great, but I gained it all back, of course, and then some. That was before we got married. So I found this plan and I didn't know my coach. I didn't know anyone who'd ever done it. And I just randomly got assigned to her. She lives in Utah. And she taught me this system that I then became a coach for because part of helping yourself is being able to stand up and say, this is what I've done for myself. And I am happy and excited about it. And other people get excited and they want to know. So you show them. So it was a really great way to dip my toe really slowly into the field of coaching because I didn't know anything about life coaches or health coaches or anything like that at the time. And this was a way for me to say, oh, this is really interesting. Just people helping people. And that's what a coach does. You help them do something that you know how to do, just like a soccer coach or a baseball coach. You teach someone who's never played how to play because you know how to play. Interesting because to me, that kind of system holds you a bit accountable as well. So you feel like I'm excited about this and I have to stay excited about it because I want- Because I'm helping someone else as well. Absolutely. And it's a big part actually of the posturing of coaching in the beginning stages because you do get a lot out of helping someone else. And the that's where the idea of community being a big deal really took hold with me as well. Like I was already super social and leveraged a team and all of that stuff at my regular job. And so once I started with this program and met these other people who were also doing the same thing with similar goals and lots of similar stories, not necessarily of husbands passing away, but family members passing away or divorces or abuse in all realms of of possibility of things that happen in our lives that kind of give us that aha moment of I'm going to need to do something different now because from birth to here, we're going to take a new direction. So yeah, so that's how I got started coaching was by just paying forward what I had learned with my own physical transformation. I lost 55 pounds that summer. And yeah, it was amazing. And (laughs) it was bathroom selfies at at the office every week because like this jacket, I remember I had this suede kind of blazer jacket and I wore it the day that people recognized I was pregnant with my daughter, my second child, because it wouldn't button. And I just, I didn't think it really, people would know, but some guy, which of course some guy goes, oh, congratulations. And I'm just like, like I haven't told anybody. And I'm just like thinking that it's not noticeable. And so congratulations. And it was so funny now, but at the point I was just like, oh my gosh, no. <laughs> anyway, 
But I remember putting that back on after I'd lost the weight. And I was like, I haven't worn this jacket in two years since I was pregnant with Rachel. The thing that comes to mind, I think so many people struggle when they try to lose weight because of time. And what came to mind for me too, is how are you finding time to do all this on top of the job, on top of the kids? your own weight loss, and then coaching other people. So one of the things is, right, if when you're really fired up about something, you're willing to spend your time doing it. I was working full time. So I would get up, drive the kids to daycare, go to work. I would, I don't know, work from 8.30 whenever I showed up there till five to be able to pick the kids up by six because we're in Silicon Valley and there's a lot of traffic and then go home. And then but they were still little. So I'd put them to bed and I'd stay up for two hours doing trainings and, and learning and sending people messages. That was, was like, this was in 2010. So Facebook was really exploding. And really the way that I reached people was by posting pictures on Facebook and doing Facebook messaging or texting people because my network still is all around the country from the performing group that I was in when I was in my 20s. So really the people that I was reaching, I was reaching my work friends in person during the day, like they would see me and wonder what's going on. And how the heck do you lose 25 pounds in two months and 55 pounds in five months? That was like, they saw me melt. So that work was easy. And as long as I posted pictures on Facebook, right. that was easy too, because people were just like, oh my gosh, down another size again. And you talk about it too. It's like being a walking billboard. So how I did it was on my lunch breaks and after the kids went to bed because I was fired up. So I had energy that I didn't have before. And it was much more like this than I was the way I was dealing with the grief and everything, which was a lot more flat. So I had lots of energy and lots of ability to take a couple of hours in the evening and just TV running, trainings running, messaging people, like just doing all the things because it was so exciting and fun. And that summer we had our first like national convention thing. And that was when I saw other people who were coaches from around the country, people who had left their corporate jobs, people who were physicians who had closed their practices in order to coach. It was a very exciting couple of days. And that was when I really woke up and said, what if I can get that coaching business to a certain place, then with between California and Florida, cost of living difference, I can move to Florida, rent a house twice the size for half the price, and not have to go to a job walk my kids to school half a mile and come home and work for myself all day and go pick them up from school, come home and then be with them. So it was that full transformation of going from corporate employee to work for yourself. But there was also very interesting because I was in a new state. I had lots of distraction of being in this new house, like getting things set up and, and living a whole different life and trying to learn how to be my own boss. It was an interesting period to to move from being a corporate employee for 17 years and really longer because still working for other companies when you're in school and stuff and and in your early 40s switching to okay I'm the boss and if I don't do this no one's going to and and there's not going to be any money so <laughs> let's keep this ball rolling the other side of it too are you it's really easy to find yourself and some, in a way, this is an interesting thing about working for yourself, but you'll, you can find yourself working at the strangest hours and you're going, okay, where are my boundaries? <laughs> I need to have boundaries or I'll always be working or I'll always be playing. So yeah, that, that kind of balance of 
when do you do what? Yeah. And that's something that every entrepreneur, I think, continues to struggle with unless they're very structured person, but I'm not a super structured personality, but I know the value of that structure. So especially here we are almost nine years later, having learned that if I don't allow specific time to do certain things that I'm really going to just flow right through it. And all of a sudden the day's half gone or the day's fully gone. What was the time between when you went to that conference and then you were like, okay, I'm quitting. This is going to be my full-time thing. So I was sitting there and we were listening to Robin Sharma was the keynote speaker. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's got a few books out. He's a, I don't even know what to say. He's like a big guru kind of coach guy, Tony Robbins-ish type of guy. Really great books. He's one of his first book, I think was called The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. And it was really about the idea of working for the money versus working for the purpose. Work to live, live to work. Yeah, right. I was sitting there in this ballroom with... 3,000 other people sitting there just looking at him, listening to him talk. And I hadn't experienced anything like that before. I was like, I don't really get everything that he's saying, but I think this is pretty cool. And then there was a whole panel of physicians that went up on the stage. There was like six of them and there was an oncologist and a family physician and a cardiologist and all these different, all these people. And they're just like story after story of how by coaching people, they feel better about the impact they're making on people's health than just helping them battle once they're already sick. Yes, that's huge. That's such a problem in society in general that we treat the illness instead of getting ahead of it and being healthy people on a day-to-day basis. Totally. And that was the coming from a couple of years prior with my husband's illness. That was very impactful to me, remembering how completely enthralled I was with the work that the nurses were doing to care for him and all of that. Like I was so in awe of the machine behind his care. But at the same time, I knew I could never be a part of that. What can I do to help people in general live healthier lives so that they're less likely to be in this situation that I'm in, that he was in, that we were all in, that we had all experienced. I was there and I just kind of said to my friend, do I really need to go back? I could just stay. And of course I couldn't just stay, but I did start thinking about it. And I was actually starting a vacation at my parents for the next two weeks after that. So of course I had this time to ruminate of what would that look like? What could it, what could I do to make that work? What would it look like? And by the time I went back, I want to say it was like late, late July, back at work at home. And within a couple of weeks, I got like it all figured out. And I called my boss, which like I said, I was a consultant. So it didn't work at my office every day. My boss was at a different location. I was like, hey, I should come in and check in. And she told me afterwards, she said, I knew you were coming to quit. Like I just knew. (laughs) But I went and I was just like, you know what, I'm going to move to Florida. And this is obviously she knew the reasons why I would want to be by my family. So that was like, first part of September. And my I gave like three months notice. So by middle of December, we moved to Florida. Okay. Which kind of coincided with like my lease was ending at the house and and different things like that. So the timing was related to that. And also related to the end of the work year, things got slow at work over the holidays. So it was a good time for a transition. And it was enough notice, hopefully, to hire a replacement for me because I had been there for a really long time, not to brag, but replacing me was hard. And in fact, we ended up not replacing me and giving up the contract because we couldn't find someone that my boss was willing to manage because I didn't need to be managed. 
Yeah. I, I feel like that's an interesting thing too, because a lot of the women I've spoken with, they have this kind of, it doesn't sound like you had like guilt around leaving, but there is this, I'm going to give you a long time to replace me. And there, it's hard to replace somebody who's been there for a long time. So right. it, it makes the transition a little bit more difficult in yeah. the sense that you're, I don't want to let someone down. I looked at it as a transition for me as well, not just for the job, but what how can I make sure that um, I'm set up for success going into this new location? So one of the things we did was not only determine what the day would be the last day in the office, we also determined that about a month, maybe six weeks before that, I would start reducing my hours. And that gave me the flexibility to, to work more on my new business so that I didn't feel, so that I could let that build up. Yes. So I started to tip the scales, less corporate, more coaching, even before I left that job. And then when December came and I actually left, they asked me to take my laptop with me for a month just in case they had questions, which in the end they didn't. But I was happy to do that because I knew it wasn't going to be anything substantial. And it was a client that I had been at physically on site for eight years. They've been with me through both of my kids being born, through my husband's death. These people were friends and and they were had supported me so much that it wasn't that I don't want to let them down. It's that we have a relationship and it was important to me that they were taken care of and also important to me that I left my integrity intact. So you've at this point, you've moved to Florida and you've already started building up what your coaching business is going to be. Mm -hmm. But I feel like now you deal with a lot more than, for example, healthy weight loss. So how do right. you make this transition from I'm helping people that want to lose weight to I'm a life coach and I want to help people with everything? So because the health coaching business included helping people learn how to be health coaches, there was a little bit of life coaching to that. And truthfully, when you're working on your health, it's really you're working on your life. Yes, you're learning different eating habits and things like that, but you're learning the mental changes that need to happen, which is what life coaching is all about, different decisions and different, all of the potential paths that you could go down and which one is the best one that will serve your goals best. And you can't separate the two because it is your life that you're trying to get healthy, not just your body. I did exclusively coach that program for for about two years. And I, obviously I'm here in California. So I was going to say, how did you get back to California? Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's kind of the funny story too. My now husband, he and I have known each other since I was 17. And he was actually the one who helped me the most after Paul passed away. He accompanied me to the funeral home. Like he was my best local friend. I had a couple of other close friends, but he was probably the best friend. And as we left to go to Florida, we looked at each other and went, huh, this is a problem. Like Florida's great, but I have to leave you. And he's like packing me up, helping me get packed going, this sucks. And so we decided that we would try a long distance relationship right before we moved. And over the next six months, he came to visit me, I think two or three times and and the kids obviously and then that june we plan to come back and do like a tourist vacation hey let's go back to california and have california fun for a couple of weeks and that's when we decided to get engaged and move back to california since we'd known each other for 30 years it's not like i need to get to know you so yeah. let's just get let's just make it happen so we ended up moving back here that august 
because I didn't want the kids to have to split their school year again. We had left in December before. My son had a pretty rough time of it. He was in first grade at the time. So I didn't want them to have to be the new kid in the middle of the school year again. So we got here right before school started in August. I kind of call it moving to Florida, call it a long eight month vacation. And I just brought all my stuff with me. I have to say though, I'm definitely, I have two sisters that live in Florida and I did a short internship in Florida and I'm definitely more of a California girl. So it would not be difficult to get me to go back. Yeah, It definitely wasn't hard because I hadn't been in Florida long enough for it to feel like home. It really felt like a vacation with all my stuff. So coming back to California, of course, felt very familiar and very comfortable. And even though living in Santa Cruz is different than living in San Jose, it wasn't very far away. And in fact, most of the networking and things that I would do when I first got back here, I would just go over the hill and do it over there because they were more my people. There's a definite personality kind of vibe in the South Bay than there is in Santa Cruz, I'm sure you can imagine. So we ended up getting back here that August. And I took the next like year and a half or so, it took some time to feel around here in Santa Cruz and get to know people. And it was a bit of a transition for me, but I was still only health coaching. I didn't really have a picture of doing other things. But after about a couple of years, I started the idea of doing things that were outside of that realm that I thought would be fun. And the first one I think was a vision board party, which vision board parties are fun. Who doesn't like that? That started me. I have never done a vision board party. This sounds like a very like- You've never done a vision board party. I would say that I am planning, I will say that I'm planning to do a digital one. I don't know when. And I will invite you, but you're so far away. <laughs> so I don't know if it'll work. I, I will keep care. you in mind. Okay. But, but so I started with that and doing some group work, five, six people at a time. And it just was really fun. I had always noticed that even when health coaching, that it was more like life coaching because we were talking about whole wellness. We weren't just talking about weight. So it just started to really turn in my mind that because I am a good coach, I can help people with things other than this particular program and just start to do other things. And so I you know, took some trainings and stuff like that. I didn't get certified, but I just started moving in that direction and it just was fun. So I kept doing it because I think that's one of the great things about working for yourself is if you find that passion and you really just are enjoying it and it's fulfilling, keep going in that direction because that's the right direction, right? Yeah, so I did that for a couple definitely. years too. And then as I was trying to do group events, I found it hard to find places to do that. I would, I was told, oh, do them at your house. Do them on your kitchen table. It'll be great, but not so great at my house. It just didn't work. I've got kids, the dog, the, the way our space was laid out. There wasn't enough room. So I was always looking for a place to rent. And I found it really hard to find a place that was nice, that like a place you want to spend your day that was affordable and that was available. It was challenging. That's definitely something in my experience, that's the never ending dream, I guess, for me is that I would have a community space, theater right. space, all this kind of stuff. Try doing that in London. I can't imagine. And I'm sure California is, it's not cheap in California, but yeah, finding that right space that's nice enough that people want to be there, that you want to be there. Right. That it's on brand for the work that you're doing and all of that. And since I had an interior design and project management background, I started toying ah. with the idea in my head that what if I just made a space? And I didn't really know what that would look like, but it was exciting. And so I started moving in that direction and started asking like the women that I was networking with, hey, if I made a place, what do you think of that? Would you use it? Do you think that's valuable? Do you think I could get people to come? And I got overwhelming positive response. Like it was really great. 
So I started moving in that direction because that was really exciting to have the idea of making a place of my own, to have the vibe that I want it to have and the aesthetic appeal that I want it to have, to be able to hold people, enough people that I want it to hold. And everyone around me was going, yeah, I could totally use that. Oh, I have this friend who does workshops. I'll tell them about it. And the word started to getting out. Then I started learning about all the things, commercial real estate, permits, licenses, all these different things that we need. And nothing scared me. Like it was all just, okay, that's interesting. I found a place where we we're planning on it and stuff. And then we went into negotiations for the lease and it all fell apart, but I didn't quit. And I realized that's because I was committed and really just fulfilled by the idea of this thing existing in the world. And I had to keep going. And that was really exciting to recognize that a lot of times people stop if things get hard and it got hard and I wasn't even, I never even thought of stopping. And it just showed me that that's what I was meant to put together. And eventually we opened, we actually opened in October of 2019. Our place is called Gather. Just making this face like 2019, <laughs> the end of 2019. October 2019. Oh my gosh. 2020 vision. Oh, I know. Yeah. It was crazy. So yeah, we opened in October 2019. And my job was to get people in the room so that they could look around and go, Oh, this is really cool. Oh, look at that coffee. Oh, da -da -da. what can we do? And we did that. That's what I did. And my job was to get new people, meet new people, meet like the movers and shakers in the community who I never would have introduced myself out of the blue before. But now I'm not afraid to anymore. So it was really, that was really exciting. That was a huge like step forward in my own kind of personal belief in myself and, and all of that stuff, which was super awesome. And then, and then, and then a few months later, <laughs> we had to close the doors and turn out the lights. We were actually mid-workshop that weekend. The Saturday the 14th, we had a group of people in there and they came in and they were a little nervous, but they all settled in and did their thing. And then the next morning, one person called in sick and they all um. went, nope, we're out. We're leaving. Bye. And so within an hour, we had cleaned up everything and turned out the lights. I actually was running a workshop when they announced lockdown in London. I had put on a theater production the weekend before. Oh, no. And then that Monday or a Monday week on, we were in a workshop. And when by the time we left the workshop, it was like, see you on the other side. Little yeah. did we think we'd be locked down again now, but. Yeah, we had no idea what that would look like. We thought it would be a month. No one knew what, it, and I don't know the messaging that you guys were getting versus what we were getting. I'm sure it's very different because all of us was after, like we were after Italy and all of that stuff. So it was a little, I'm sure it was different, but. What we knew was that we didn't know when we go back, but we just certainly didn't think it would be over a, a year, end up being a year later. In that first month, I did a lot of just Zoom stuff because I'm home. So what else am I going to do? Let's just do some stuff. And that time allowed me to realize that if we, if the whole point of gather was to build community and we wanted to do it in person, but if we really can't, we have to build community wherever we can find it. And if online is what we got, then that's what we got. And we have to keep going because the alternative of disconnecting and not building community, that would be like the downfall. That's yeah. when the world really, and that's the division and all of that is that disconnection of community. I think that everything here in the States that's happening is fed by the fact of the pandemic and all of the crazy not only mixed messages, but the the removal of people from people 
I think is a big part of that. So keeping people together became my number one goal, build community. So doing different things online. And what we did with Gather is I also saw that the people who were doing in-person workshops and stuff, if they needed help getting their work online, like I needed to help them because if I didn't, by the time we got back in person, they wouldn't be around anymore because they needed to have right. success while we were closed down too. So I shifted everything from in-person, like rent the room and we'll help you promote and get people in and make you coffee and all this stuff to you're doing an online event. Okay, I'm going to help you promote and help bring people in and really talk about it and help them to grow their reach, expand. And so that's what we did. We moved from renting the room to creating a membership and our members have been thriving like this. And we have a community of people who are all in support of each other. We have to do this wherever we can do it. So let's serve people. Even if we can't be together, let's be together online so that when we can reopen, we'll be excited to see each other instead of disconnected. So I know a lot of what you do is is helping women specifically. Mm-hmm. Is Gather a women-specific organization? or It's funny that you asked that. So when I first started, I didn't have that kind of focus. I really, especially since I started with health, it's meant everyone needs help. But just over time, and my business coach wanted me to go in that direction, and I resisted for a little while as far as like women-focused. But what I realized was as I defined my own kind of ideal client. And so anyone, any coach that you talk to, it's that who's your ideal client, who's your avatar or whatever. And I don't use those, that wording so much, but I did realize that the people I enjoyed working with most were women around 50-ish, which is I'm 52. And I think a lot of times we do end up serving people who are similar to us, or Mm -hmm. at least in a similar time of life than as us. So it just, it's not that I don't coach men. I actually had a great guy in my last group coaching program, my chiropractor, he's amazing. And at Gather in the space, we certainly will have anyone can rent the space. But from a membership standpoint, when we wanted to create this new community online, we do have that be women only because we're really trying to link arms and create something from nothing. And I found that we were more likely to just connect more naturally and be able to be moving in the same direction with the same agenda and the same mission. It's interesting because I feel like sometimes being a women-focused or female identifying theater company and the podcast and everything. I have been challenged on that from time to time, Mm -hmm. but I can always pull out something that shows that women still basically need to be supporting each other because specifically in theater here, for example, the numbers just still aren't what they should be as far as seeing strong roles or female writers being put on in big theaters, or there's always something that I'm like, I'm not just doing this because I don't like men or something like that. It really is about, and I spoke with a woman, another American woman actually, last season. And she's so interesting because she did, she changed her career at 65 and Mm -hmm. did a film about women keeping their relevance, basically. So the Beyond 60 Project, it's called. And we talked a lot about women supporting each other. And I think at the end of the day, there is something about linking arms, as you said. The other thing too, is coming from my personal background, my corporate life, right? The owner of our company, the partners were both female. I ended up being, I was one of the first five people or so in the company. And I think four out of five of us were female. The clients that we had, while they weren't all female, the companies were very 
progressive in their inclusiveness. And I know there's a lot of friends of mine, like on Facebook or whatever, might talk about, oh, I had this experience and the man took the credit for this thing that I did and all that stuff. And I just, I'm really grateful. I never really had those experiences. Part of it too is I'm like six feet tall and I was running crews of 30 movers at a time and in furniture installers and art installers. And so I was in a place of authority running the show and a physical big presence. Of course, even before I lost my weight, it was a big presence to, I think in some ways I was intimidating. So it allowed me to just have this kind of leadership role where people didn't really challenge me. And I didn't have that, that kind of natural, like the boss is a man and et cetera, et cetera. So there's that benefit to me that I didn't experience a lot of that kind of negative feedback. So I kind of just didn't even think about it. So I just kept moving forward with, okay, we're just, I'm just going to do what I do. So it's been a really good education for me these last few years with Me Too and with and even all the racial equality stuff that's going on and everything to really look at how people have experienced things differently than me and make sense of all of that for who I want to work with most and why that is. And so even though I might not have experienced some of that negativity, I know that lots of people have, and I want them to know that that's not necessary. That's not required to be successful. You don't have to fight that. You can just blast through it and be you. So when it, when it comes to your business, businesses, what what is the driving passion behind it all? Obviously, the health care thing is what sparked it. But now what keeps you going and, and keeps you excited about it? There's two main themes. The first one is community, because whether we're talking about a person's life or business, community is the thing. That's what makes life fulfilling is the people in it. So community is the number one overarching umbrella word for everything that I do. From a coaching standpoint, it's empowering people to be themselves. As someone who's six feet tall, I was always had a level of visibility, but I didn't always feel like I wanted it. And now that I can own my own self, be my own person, I'm happy being in the spotlight because I feel confident about how I show up that way, that I am authentic and that I'm not putting on a show. I definitely used to feel like work days were a show because the real life was not so bubbly. And now real life is pretty bubbly. Even in a pandemic, there's so many good things that have happened and that can happen and that are possible. And and I firmly believe that's not a show. So I want people, women especially, to understand that if they have something in their mind that they want to accomplish or a dream or something to do that they can do it, they just need to believe in themselves and take those steps. And so that's what I teach when I'm coaching is how do you take those steps? What happens when things are challenging? And what happens when people tell you that you can't? And what do you do with that? So really empowering people to stand up and be their true, authentic, bold self, because the alternative being diminished is, I think, one of the worst things that can happen to a person. I feel like you do see a lot of people who are doing these sort of like glitzy coaching, marketing kind of things that don't feel authentic. So talking to you, it's really interesting to hear about having that kind of mission that does feel, but you're not just saying, you're not just walking, you're not just talking the talk of being an authentic person and an authentic 
you actually are coming from a place that you're like, I've experienced this through grief, whether it's that you have grief or you have health issues or you're feeling diminished for a different, for whatever reason, I want to make it possible for you to shine. Not everyone's going to resonate with everyone. And that's what's so great about it because we really get to find the people that are for us. My clients that I work with know that I will walk through fire for them if that's what's needed. But what I really want to do is empower them to walk on their own fire. And I think that any coach worth their salt is going to say the same thing, but it might look prettier if they've been around longer, have a larger marketing machine. That's more about like the the personality factor too, right? If you want to be that glitz, like you'll figure out how to look like that. But if you just want to be fun and approachable, then you're going to figure out how to look like that. My headshot has bright magenta hair. Clearly I have pandemic style these days, but I love my pink hair because it's about my excitement of life. And I want to empower people. I don't want them to decide that they need to have pink hair. So it's more about that base kind of core value system that then allows the other person to develop their own base core value system for themselves. I do have to say though, embarrassingly, after looking at your website, I was considering buying some pink hair dye. (laughs) I love it, man. It's so fun. So I have really dark hair. I was thinking if I got some like semi-permanent, put it over the grays, and then I'd have this sort of like cool dark with spots of really bright pink, I might completely just copy you. (laughs) Overtone has a thing that's for dark, for brown hair. Ah. And it's it's actually a conditioner. It's actually nourishing for your hair. So go for it. Overtone, would you like to sponsor me? (laughs) I know, no kidding, right? The second chapter podcast brought to you by Overtone. I did ask you to bring a quote and I know you said there were so many good ones, but do you have a quote for me today? I think the quote that I have to share is just, it's from a mentor. It's not a famous person. Even better. I had a mentor who told me that everything we do is a choice, everything. So what do you choose? And that's one of the cornerstones that I coach with, because when we decide that what's happening in the world is not something that we don't have the ability to affect, but that the way we respond to anything that happens, the way we respond is always a choice. I may not have chosen for my husband to pass away. I may not have chosen our crazy politicalness and all of those things, but the way that I respond to it and show up in the world and help people in life is up to me. And so what am I going to do? I can only affect the things that I can affect. I can't make things unhappen and them happening isn't going to define me. I hesitated on define me because obviously it is a factor in all personality development, the things that happen to us, but how we go forward from there is always a choice. And so what do you choose? I like that. That's a good way to, we're not victims. The other day, somebody said something to me, it might not all be all right, but even if it's not all right, we'll find a way to to make it different. And I think that's a really interesting way to think of it. I think I heard it postured in that you might be a victim of an event, but you don't have to live in victimhood. Exactly. I love it. Really good one. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And I'm glad to hear that the life sounds pretty bubbly. Yeah, it's all good. good. It was so great chatting with you and that we could do this from across the world, really. Yeah, it's been great. I really enjoyed meeting you. It's been so fun. Thanks again for listening. As a reminder, if you're enjoying the Second Chapter podcast, please share with your friends and leave us a great rating and review. 
We also have some great merchandise giveaways coming up, so stay tuned in upcoming episodes for news on how you can win some fab stuff from the second chapter. The second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them, with a specific focus on women 35+. plus. For more about Slackline, visit slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.